0: Welcome to another edition of Open Pages. And now the interviewer is going to be interviewed. So I'm delighted to welcome John, John Logan, who you probably all know and have seen interviewing other members of Bell Road Church. So tonight, my name's Barbara. I am going to interview John.
1: This is going to be tough. Yep.
0: So let me ask you, are you well, John?
1: I am very well, thank you, yes, very well indeed.
0: And enjoying your very quiet retirement, but maybe we'll come on to that.
1: Right, okay. (laughs) Enjoying, yes, definitely, definitely, yeah.
0: But maybe we start at the beginning and you tell us a little bit about your childhood and growing up.
1: Okay, yeah. I was born in Scotland, Mm -hmm. um, just across the border Uh, My father was Scottish and was born on the island of... The the, the Isle of Strome isn't an island, but it's off one of the ends of the west of Scotland. Um, And he worked in what was then Windscale, the nuclear plant. And so we we were living in that area, and the nearest hospital was in Dumfries, So I was born there, and we lived in England at the time, but I still had a Scottish birth certificate. So come the independence, I've got room to go both directions. Um, When I was one, my father got a job at the Slanwern Steelworks in in Newport in South Wales, um, and... So we moved to a place called Cumbran, which at that time was a brand new town. It was the 19, end of the 1950s, the early 1960s, and it was a, a whole new era uh, for, for that sort of area. Um, and my childhood was a happy childhood. Um, we had a lovely green outside that we used to play with friends, and um, we used to go and there was a nice park across the road. There was plenty to do um, for our children, and very, very happy childhood, um, and and I think probably my as as a younger child I just just enjoyed life. Life went along with me as you often do when you're a child. As a teenager, it was good. My teenage years were good, but it was also got more difficult. When I was 15, my father died suddenly, um, uh, a heart attack, um, and that knocked me for six, knocked the whole family for six, but I felt like I had to grow up quickly. In those days, you kind of you were treated like you were the man of the house, and you had to grow up for everybody else was the way it was always put. I'm not always sure that's the case, and sometimes I think probably more time for grieving would have been better, but um, yeah, so my sister and I and my mum lived at home, and uh, my sister moved out, got married, and so it was me and my mum, and uh, we, it was good, we had a good time. I, I wouldn't like to say my life was hard, it wasn't, but um, yeah, it was it was good. I, as an as a 11-year-old, um, I ended up going to a school in Pontypool, um, a boys' grammar school. Um, I wasn't the most studious of them all, um, I was also quite a shy and quiet boy, and I have to say, at times, was quite badly bullied. And um, I think it's probably what's given me my passion to never let the underdog lose and ne- ne- never let the bullies win wherever they are. And, yeah, so that was that was childhood. I had some good friends. Um, I remember one long, very hot summer going out and spending time with some, some friends from school and some friends from church and uh, just enjoying life that way.
0: Good, thank you. So, tell us about about church and about maybe your growing up in faith.
1: Right. I was I was baptised in Black Hill Presbyterian Church, as it was then, in concert in County Durham, which is where my mum and dad met, and where my mum's side of the family were all from. Um, but that was it. We didn't go to church. My mum and dad didn't go to church. It wasn't, a, it wasn't expected to do that. Um, and I, I, I remember being told afterwards that my mum attempted to send my sister and I, my sister's three years older than me, to church. So she was sent to look after me and take me there. I apparently screamed the church down, refused to go, and she refused to take me ever again. I, that wasn't going to happen. Um, and when I was a bit older, when I was probably about eight or nine, I would think it would be, um, I can still distinctively remember that the cupboard on the landing at home. And in the cupboard was one of those old colour cartoon type Bible stories for children. There was a classic one that you probably recognise if you'd seen it. Um, and I remember um, reading this and thinking, I really want to know more of this. So I went downstairs. What What? prompted me to do it I don't know but I can give a good guess went downstairs and I said to my mum I'd quite like to go to Sunday school and um, you know those kind of coincidences they're not always coincidences but the lady next door happened to be the Methodist Sunday school superintendent and uh, she she willingly took me along to Sunday school And in those days there were big wooden trestle tables and probably over a hundred of us in Sunday school in the hall every Sunday morning. Um, And I used to go along to that. And time came when we got a bit too old for Sunday school and there were a group of us that needed to move on to something else. And just happened that the right people were there to start a young people's group, a young people's fellowship group, which met on a Sunday night and that 's where I built my strong bonds of friendship um, and got to know people who I still keep up with this to this day and age um, and I think that's where I found I found faith if you like as a, as a teenager um, we used to go out and do things we had some good friends of adults who led us as a group but also really nurtured us and cared for us and knew about having fun and actually what the fun of being a Christian as well that's there. Um, We went, I can remember going one one Sunday, I think it was a Sunday, it might have been a Saturday, to Cardiff Docks to go to stay on one of the... a boat, a ship called um, HMS Logos, which was a Christian ship designed as a missionary thing to go around the world. And I remember how much I thought these these people are enjoying their faith and always thought faith is important to enjoy. And, and, and so that carried on really and um, went to college in Southlands College, um, a Methodist college to train to teach and found that faith was such an important part of people's lives and it, it was an important part of my life and, and and that's always been the case really, it's just kept going from there.
0: Okay, thank you. Now I know in your work life you've had a variety of roles. Yeah. Um, do you want to maybe tell us a bit about that? You obviously became a teacher.
1: Yeah yeah absolutely yeah teaching teaching was to my mind what i'd always wanted to do and i can remember with my good friend linda who sadly died um many many years ago linda and i are the same age we used to go uh, go around to her house and her um three siblings used to be have to suffer us pretending to teach them in their garden shed um i think i'd always wanted to be a teacher And I'd always got a passion for teaching religious education and it being really good quality religious education. So that was what I went off to train to teach. Um, And I began teaching in secondary schools, teaching religious education in secondary schools, um, in a variety of places in West London and uh, this sort of area. And um, eventually, after about 10 years of that, I I saw the opportunity to go into advisory work, and and there was a a job that came up in Hounslow here to be an advisory teacher for RE, um, which was great, Mm -hmm. which I absolutely loved. And I went and I got to go into so many schools to do different work with teachers and help them learn how to teach RE to children in a better and more effective way. Um, I can remember going into some of the special schools in Hounslow and just absolutely adoring it because and coming out having learned far more than I ever gave which I think is true of any good teacher you learn more than you give um, and I remember going into primary schools and just loving the enthusiasm of the children and the excitement for everything going on and that's where I kind of moved on that job Um, Times were hard and advisory teachers were disappearing, money was tight, nothing much has changed on that front. And I got a job in Southampton in a Catholic college, which was equally as fascinating. For two years I commuted to Southampton and um, taught religious education in a theology department, a Catholic theology department. Um, I'm sure I won't get anybody into trouble, but I can always remember saying, I'd love to know what is so special about teaching in a Catholic school. So I said, said to the head of department, a nun, I said, could I go and sit in on the Catholic Teacher's Certificate tr- course? And um, I remember there was a little giggle and a wry smile, and I was given my timetable and found that I was teaching the Catholic Teacher's Certificate, which was um, probably not the best good Orthodox Catholic teaching that they got, um, but it was enjoyable. And then a post came up at Brunel, uh, which was 10 minutes walk instead of an hour and a half of driving. And uh, so I went to work there at the National RE Centre there, and that was great. For four years I, I worked very hard at building sort of RE networks across the country, developing things locally, but also some national things as well, and that was, that was great. And all of that seemed to be that's where I was going. And sometimes you think you've got your path mapped out, career in that. I might do more advisory work, I might go into local authorities and work that way, I might go into university work. There were all sorts of options and opportunities. And somehow the calling, the calling was to do something very different. And I found myself as a head of a primary school in central London, in inner London, next to Wormwood Scrubs. It was really salubrious. Um, and I. It was, it, was, it was a real culture shift. But I knew that I'd got the, the, the roots of loving working with children, loving working with people. Um, and it was what got me through that. It was, it, was, there was, it was a real mixture of people. It was a mixture of people. You've got parents who absolutely love their kids, salt of the earth, no fuss, no bother. If they, if they didn't like what you were doing, they would tell you. In fact, they would probably shout at you, Um, scream at you and all sorts of things but there was something very special about it Um, and again I was there for three years doing that job it was a good learning curve for me I learned how to deal with some children with such challenging circumstances that their behaviour was was just unacceptable completely chairs thrown, doors slammed, that sort of thing Um, and then I was fortunate that an opportunity came up nearby in Teddington um, to work in a church school, so I I went for this to, uh, and looked at the job and applied for it and and I was there for 18 years and had really? 18, 18 years 18. had 18 years yeah wow. until I retired last summer mm. so yeah that's where my career's been uh, I, I'm never sure whether I call it a career or a vocation because mm. I think it's more of a vocation really. I think maybe
0: teaching is a vocation.
1: yeah it is yeah you don't do it for the pay anyway mm. <laughs>
0: So tell me, John,
1: So, where did you meet Margaret on the way? Well, Margaret, oh, yeah, yeah, Margaret. I met Margaret in college at okay. Southland. She, too, was training okay. to teach, um, yeah, some 40-odd years ago. And, yeah, she was um, slightly further ahead than me, and uh, she was training to teach. So, yes, we met and got married the summer of the end of my time at college. It was like a wedding factory, really, if I'm honest there. Everybody was getting married that summer. Um, and you used to go from one wedding to the next, and um, yeah, it's great. We had a wonderful summer wedding banquet of ham salad, as most people did, and and tea, and what you drank. And very different from weddings of this day and age. Yeah, yeah.
0: Now I want to ask you a question that you've never asked anybody.
1: Oh dear, right?
0: Don't embarrass Andrew either, but. As a parent, um, I don't know if the word is successful, but I mean, I do admire the fact that your two children, of which you had two boys... We did. Andrew and Matthew...
1: Yeah.
0: ...are still very committed to church. Mm. And they've gone through Sunday school, etc., and they're still with us, having Mm. been Mm. away to do things. Is there you know what advice can you secret. give because what is the secret of yeah. of, of keeping your children uh, committed to the church or or at least keeping their faith uh, because i know there are many of us who haven't managed that and it's a great sorrow and mm. you think well there are people who who have managed it so I mean, probably there is no great secret, but I mean, do you have any anything you could maybe give somebody who's getting to that a parent who's getting to that stage where you know maybe there's or maybe your boys never went through that stage.
1: You'd have to ask them that. I, I think would. Um, maybe we yeah, interview with another yeah, time another time yes. Interview. I mm-hmm. think I think our kids have always been. I mean as you were here a long time when we first came as well, um, kind of the children came to everything. Um, and we we made sure we got involved in the fun things. We got them involved in the MOYC things, the Methodist Association of Youth Clubs, things where we could, although they were quite young when some of those were going on. Um, we, we tried to keep it fun and interesting. Um, I don't think, as a parent, you can push your children into faith. I think they will find the path that they want to. And if, if, if things are in the, the right climate, and if they feel loved and cared for, and if they feel strongly enough about what's going on, then, yeah, they might stay. But I also think there are many people who have gone and left. Their children have not stayed on in church. And I think that they have they have gone away, hopefully, with the seeds of love. And I think you can only sow the seeds, if you like, of faith. I think people will take those as they want. And it's interesting when you meet people who have been coming to the church or came to the church as, as a child or a teenager and as an adult, there is something there. There's a little germ there that they remember how special the church was at that time, even if they don't still go. Their life has changed, life circumstances have changed. Um, I think, yeah, I'm immensely delighted that my two boys want to be involved. Occasionally, there's the odd bit of dragging them along still, but they're at the age now where they'll soon tell me where to go if I try to do too much like that. And, actually sometimes it's the other way around now they encourage me to go and they encourage me to do things um, andrew with his technological skills mm-hmm. and his sense of justice and rightness is really really important matthew with with his his musical enjoyment is great as well that he he's the one that spurs me on to do more as well so you do get the payback that way but there's no There's not really a right or wrong answer to that, and I think the other thing is, as a parent, you mustn't feel guilty if your children don't stay there either. I think that's that's also quite important. That that we're all humans, we're all individuals, Mm. and we find our path whichever way that goes.
0: Well, thank you. I thought I'd ask you that, though, because I do Mm -hmm. think about that um, when Mm. I see folk. Yeah. So you've been in Bell Road for. Not quite as many years as I have, but practically as long as I have, which is a long time. Yeah. Um, things have changed enormously through the years. So what about the future of Bell Road? How, how do you see that?
1: I'm immensely excited for the future. I think, as you do and I do, we go and visit other churches. We see round churches. We, we have the privilege of being able to lead worship in other churches. Um, I'm always excited about the opportunities we have here. I think we've got, we've got, we've got a congregation of people, and at the moment they're a bit disparate. They're a bit spread out, but we're keeping them together. Um, and on a typical Sunday. You can have, at the moment, in the middle of lockdown, you can have, well, not lockdown, we're not in lockdown, but you know what I mean. You can have 20 to 30 people in church and an equivalent number at home joining in the worship at home. Um, And that's great, and that's really good. Um, I think this church has got a really good future. I think we need to grasp the opportunities that we have. We need to look at what's so good about the things we do and to see how we can make that even better. Um, I was having a conversation today with somebody about um, a buzz phrase, new people, new places, which is what Methodism talks about a lot. Um, And somebody jokingly said, but we also need to think about old people and old places as well. And uh, I thought that was a great title and a great phrase. And actually, yeah, as a church, we need to recognize that a large chunk of Methodism is, is growing older and we need to find ways to engage people in their older years, mm-hmm. um, but also in our old places. We need to find new ways to work with our old places, um, with our leaky roofs, which ours isn't leaking, thankfully. It's one thing it isn't doing, um, but learning to, to do that. And I think there is, I think there is a great future where people are committed to serving God and to saying things are wrong in society around in the name of God.
0: Thank you. And we haven't mentioned, you've just mentioned it now, your preaching. So mm-hmm. remind us when you felt the call to <laughs> be a, one of
1: Mr. Wesley's preachers. Mr. Wesley's preachers. I, I felt the call to preach when I was about 16. I was a bit of a late entrant at the game. I was on note and on trial as a local preacher as a late teenager when I went to college. But then I finished that and, and a career took over and... Uh, children took over and life took over, and there were so many other things to do. It wasn't really until mid 2006, seven, something like that, um, I then went through. Um, because of my background and my training, I went through a process of prior accreditation, so I didn't have to do the training course in the same way. Um, I was always encouraged and remembered that the wonderful late Mary Ludlow, who was my mentor. And Mary took no hostages. Um, and uh, but was also so encouraging and um, yeah so I was accredited in 2009 so it's not that long really when you think about in the grand scheme it depends how old you are but you start thinking that's not very long but um, yeah and I've enjoyed preaching Um, I feel it's for me it's a discipline it's a way that I actually it's the way I study if I'm honest I, I I enjoy the preparing service because it makes me get to grips with the biblical texts and with the liturgy and so forth, and that for me is quite quite important way of, of learning,
0: and maybe uh, being spiritually refreshed and things. Yeah, uh, you know, absolutely.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I'm not. I, do I confess to the world? I'm not a great listener. Margaret tells it me all the time, but I'm not a great listener, um, and. I have to really be able to concentrate to listen very well to other people. But I'm a, I, I'm, I, I love reading and I love okay. reading and I, I can pull a theology book off the shelf and read it for ages and I can read a biblical passage and try and understand and grapple with it for ages. And for me, that's, that's my way of, of developing my own personal um, understanding of the Bible and of faith.
0: Okay. Now, I did hear you ask somebody about their favourite hymn. Oh? Which is actually really difficult, but if you could only yeah. choose one.
1: On my desert island.
0: On your I desert. could
1: only choose one. I haven't thought about this one. Um, Serves me right, doesn't it? I I suppose the one that carries me very often, and I love listening to, and I love singing, is the... The Lord's My Shepherd, the Stuart Townend, mm. here mm. in version. I think it's got... I love melody, I love tunes, um, and it's got a very special tune. And it's such simple words mm. in there as well. It's not just the psalm, which is obviously one of the most famous psalms, but those words, and I will trust in you alone, mm. um, for your endless mercy follows me. Uh, I think those words are, for me very very important i think it's because i can remember that endless mercy following me even when times are tough and i've had some tough times as everybody has um and i can remember when when my mum died i was i was only 21 i was on teaching practice so i was quite young still i mean that seems old to some but to me that's young um and i remember those words and some other words striking me about the words of Corrie Ten Boom, the, 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 the Christian who always talked about her time in Auschwitz and how um, she said, no pit is too deep, that God is not deeper. And that phrase has always carried mm-hmm. me and those two things kind of go in tandem for me. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that sense in which however rough things get, God is always there um, and his endless mercy follows us.
0: Okay, last question. You know it's what it's going to be, and it is. John, we'd like to hear what resurrection means for you.
1: The resurrection. I think we live in a time where hopelessness is the public discourse, if you like. We look around and we're worried about wars and rumors of wars. We're worried about plague and, and poverty and injustice and hatred and racial tension. I think you could list the negativities. Resurrection is about a new hope and it's what Christians bring to the table. They bring a new hope that through God and through Jesus And I think that's exciting that we can bring that new hope and say to people, there is a way forward, there is a chance. And again, no pit is too deep, that God is not deeper.
0: Thank you very much, John.